price drop? Time to shop. Get to a Nordstrom Rack store today for first dibs on new markdowns. Now score even more, up to 70% off brands everyone loves at Nordstrom Rack. Denim, dresses, sneakers, tops, and more. Plus, get genius deals on jackets, sweaters, and boots for the whole family. Shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and save up to 70% with new markdowns. But hurry, deals this great won't last. Hey, everybody. This is Hallie. We just want to put a note up top that the beginning of this episode has, the audio is not where we're normally at, but we will only have to suffer through it less than 10 minutes, and then we're going to have, oh, the audio that you're about to experience, it's going to be great. So in case you're thinking, dear God, I have to sit through the entire episode with audio like this, don't worry, it does get better. But we just wanted to flag that for you as you you ease into it. So please enjoy Crimson Peak. If scary movies give you dread, keep you up late night in bed, here's a podcast that will help ease your mind. We'll explain the plot real nicely, then we'll talk about what's frightening so you never have to have a spooky time. It's Ruined. Oh, hello, everybody. Welcome to Ruined. I'm Hallie. I'm Allison. And uh, Allison coughed right before we started recording, and I genuinely thought I was our, our producer's dog. Yeah, I was like, oh, was, God, uh, that dog sounds sick. I know. It's like, take it to a vet. It's like, that's just me. And you're like, oh, then no worries. Like, we're good. Just keep it moving. <laughs> um, hi, Hallie. How are you? I'm really good. We we are on, um, we've had um, Dave's uh, boyfriend, the pod son, uh, stay over, who is the sweetest little little peanut in the world. Aww, we've never had so him cute. over for longer. Like, usually we'll like, get him on a Saturday. We'll bring him back uh, to his um, mom's house on Sunday. And we've had him for a couple of days. And it's like, oh, yeah, like, if you're a parent, you got to do this all the time. I know. And, um, it really seems I, I, hats exhausting. Off to all parents. Yeah. yeah someone was to like, all the parents out there. I, we've had a child for 48 hours in this house. And I'm like, this is a whole new way of life. But it's really lovely. Yeah. And he, luckily, Aww. he's like the sweetest child imaginable. Yeah, and, he's also, like, too cute for words. Yeah. So. And he did have to see me tear up uh, <laughs> watching Hotel Transylvania, which I've not seen. But, but again, kind of like the intro to a spooky thing. Like he loves like the idea of Dracula yeah. and like Frankenstein in like an age appropriate, not that not scary way, you know? Yeah, little cartoony buddies. Yeah, so it's kind of sweet too. You'd be like, oh, you're gonna like spooky stuff too when you're older. But uh, Elsa, oh, yeah. how are you doing? I'm uh, I'm fine. I don't think anything's going. <laughs> Nothing's happening to me. <laughs> I, I feel like this this month like is a wash. But between, like, you know, COVID, the weather, you know, it's just, like, everyone yeah. just stays inside. If we're lucky, there's we no- text, and then that's the winter's yeah, going to pick nothing- up later this, this fall, or this uh, winter. There's I mean. nothing going on. It's shitty out. Like, last—I did come out. This isn't—I mean, it's, like, spooky if I if I didn't know there was, like, a storm last night. But, like, I have um, a terrace, brag, mm-hmm. um, and there's furniture on it. Um, but, like, wooden furniture, not, like, mm-hmm. you know, a plastic chair or whatever. And, like, it was super weird and windy and, like, it snowed and then rained here last night. And I came out this morning and looked and, like, my heavy chair was, like, halfway across my terrace. That's awful. That is some badass wind if it moved. I mean, like, it must weigh, you know, 40 pounds or something. Like, it's, like, a heavy wooden chair. I feel like we have, like, we just, like, a little balcony. Like, I just keep plants on. We don't really go on it. But I'm yeah. constantly, like, if we had furniture, I have this vision of wind just smashing something into the sliding glass door. I, I live with that that yeah. vision in my mind pretty much every day. But I'm glad that didn't happen to you. That's exciting. Yeah, I'm glad that it's, like, not a crisis, but it was spooky to come out to. 
it's a it's a spooky time for all of us right now, which is an Very excellent much. segue to um, our this month, which does not have a theme. It's just sort of a grab bag of movies that you guys have recommended that we have yes. been wanting to do. And uh, before that, of course, we want to um, answer a listener question, which you've been sending yes. us questions, and we really appreciate that. So we got one from Renee via email, and the question is, what horror movie villain would you team up with if forced to fight a stronger, scarier antagonist? This is a great question. This is an excellent question. I have to say, like, I don't have somebody quite in mind yet, but Mm -hmm. at first pass, I'm going to say someone, like, a a villain or a monster who is verbal and speaks English. Because I think— yes. We know that communication is a really big part of mm-hmm. every part of our lives. Like, we must always be communicating clearly, effectively, and immediately. And right. I just think that, like, some of these demons, while super powerful, it'd be hard to kind of be like, hey, are you going to get that? Do you want me to close this door? What's mm-hmm. going Like, I just feel like there's just so many opportunities for uh, miscommunications and then kind of finding yourself in a bad situation. So I'm already, like, an English-speaking verbal just for me, because I only speak English because I'm like a dumb American idiot. And I think that's a great to imagine what you, you think your role is going to be, which is shutting the door behind you. Which I think is, <laughs> if we were to team up with the horror villain, that is, will be our role. It'd be like, I guess I'll put gas in the car. I'll, I'll make sure all the doors are shut. Um, I'm not even sure I'm capable of those kinds <laughs> of tasks. But let's we're setting the bar. Like, that's, that's the most that I'll be doing. <laughs> I guess for me, the first one that comes to mind is Candyman. Because I have the same thought. Like, I want to be able to speak to him. And this sort of comes up in the movie this week is, you know, some ghosts, they can tell you some information, but they can't give you a whole sentence. You know what I mean? They can't just right. come out and say it. They got a hint. They got to flip a light yeah, switch and stuff. Yeah, they're always, like, breathing the word, like, like murder. And it's exactly. like, it's like, who, where, how? What? <laughs> um, and I also feel like the least the sequel, which we still do the sequel to Candyman. I mean, my God. We do. You know, I mean, we will get to that. Don't worry, guys. We'll get to that, everybody. Um, but the, the at least uh, you know based on the two films, there Candyman does have sort of a moral uprightness. Like he's not wrong; mm-hmm. he does do horrible stuff. But like there's something where it's like he is right, and I mm-hmm. like the idea of being on the side of a villain that is correct versus a, a, a Chucky who one just an asshole, and two right. would absolutely betray you, stab you in the back, or like in the Achilles tendon because he's that's his how yeah, far his reach the maniac. Is. He, you know, it's like, so to me, you have to have a villain with a little bit of integrity or else he's just obviously going to turn around and kill you. Yeah, that's the thing. Is like, I would want to feel like it's a real partnership. And I think yes. Candyman is exactly, and I feel like I've chosen Candyman for the answer to a lot of different questions. <laughs> and perhaps he's my favorite villain. <laughs> I mean, he's, he, he's a classic for a reason. Yes. You know, and versus say like a, a pinhead from Hellraiser. You know that guy, mm-hmm. like, what are you going to help him do? You know what I mean? Like, whatever he's going to want to do... You know yeah. what I mean? Like, whoever he's fighting, I would say weigh, your, weigh which side of the issue they're on. You know what I mean? Yes, absolutely. I think that's a great way of thinking about it. So we both both landed on Candyman. As we, as we mostly do. As we usually do, because, you know, he's an icon. <laughs> and not like, you know, be like, yeah, like you're not going to take the side of like the puppets from Puppet Master. You know, they no, mean well. Those, They're no. being popped quite literally. But, like, right. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe I would. Yeah, that's Maybe not, if that's I not my to. team. Yeah. That's not my team. I I there's think. leeches everywhere. I don't even know how to take no. care of leeches. I don't no, know. they're all, like, horned up. Yeah. No. And that would be our role if we teamed up with the puppets from Puppet Master is having to feed and water the leeches. 
Yeah. Leech food, put them in their no. own aquarium. I don't even know if that's how leeches are. I no. don't even don't know. They eat what are blood? they? I think. I they mean, do. they're alive in a sense. Um, yeah. So, uh, thanks so much for the question, Renee. Which brings us, of course, to the movie this week. Yes, and this one, this one, we got quite a few recommendations. So, very excited. Um, Sandy S and Jen C both emailed us, and Sarah uh, DM'd us on Instagram begging for us to do this movie, which I had not heard about. And also when it was brought up in our group text, I kept thinking it was something else. And I'll say the name of the movie. It's We're doing Crimson Peak. Mm-hmm. Great. The t- My 2015, uh, Guillermo yes. del Toro. Okay, but which one did you think it was? So I thought, I don't, I think I now know the logic that got me to this, but like I was reading it and I was, I was thinking it was The Hunt for Red October. Um, yes. Mm-hmm. And I was As like, children guys, of the 90s, I see how that, you got there. I was like, guys, that's not a scary movie. I've seen it. It's about submarines. Um, mm-hmm. But it's like a really slow, like, terrible, boring procedural. Um, <laughs> it's not terrible. But like, but like, I think it's because like Crimson Peak, Crimson Tide, and I always mm-hmm. think Crimson Tide, I get to the hunt for Red October. Anyway, we're not oh, doing no, the I, hunt I, for Red October. <laughs> it adds up. I mean, I guess there's like about it being trapped in a submarine that is terrifying. War, oh, yes. Man, men's desire for, I don't, I've never seen it, so I don't know really what it's about. But yes. there's, I think there's a new drama that just came out. I don't know if it's on the BBC or it's on one of the streaming channels. And there's a murder on a submarine. And they have to bring Ooh. in like military detectives to solve it. And part of me was like, genius. Because you only genius. have so many options. Yes. Everyone so. is a suspect. Um, but yes, we are doing Crimson Peak, um, uh, directed by Guillermo del Toro. And I had heard of this film, and for some reason, I also thought it was older than 2015. Had not mm. seen it before watching it for the podcast. Really enjoyed it. So I'm very excited to uh, get into it. Uh, before yeah. we do, we always like to have Allison watch the trailer. Allison, what were your thoughts about the Crimson Peak trailer? I mean, what a trailer. It really, like, I am excited for this. The trailer gives you a lot without also being like, also, this is what's happening. Like, I still am like, well, I guess the house is, there's a lot of shit going on. Maybe everybody's been alive forever. Maybe they're all dead. There's ghosts everywhere. The house is alive. But like, ooh, ooh, it's so scary. Great effects, uh, great cast, sexy times at some point, which I'm just excited to see. We don't don't see a lot in some of the movies that we do. And I'm just like, get us some more uh, on-screen naked time. And I'm glad you brought the sexiness because that brings us to the my uh, question of uh, when we take a baseline scary. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot of stuff going on. There's ghosts. It's set in the 1800s. Mm-hmm. Everyone's very mm-hmm. pale. But my question to you, Allison, Everyone is, is pale. how scary do you find the concept of a brother and a sister who are way, way, way too close? I don't like it. I, I mean, like- in general, as an only child, my mm-hmm. feelings about people who have siblings at all is like, I'm like, what? I don't understand these relationships. And like, they they can run the gamut from, you know, good to bad and whatever. But mm-hmm. like, the el- like, especially this time period, which I'm putting yes. as like 1800s, do you mm-hmm. think? Late 1800s. Uh, we, we there's a time jump. So when it starts, and I had to look okay. this up because, uh, boy, you think I'm bad at kids' ages. I oh. was like, is this the middle t- ages? I, like, I, I'm like, is this the future? No. I have no concept of when this was. So we no. start the Society's film. Society's ages are even harder. <laughs> oh, exactly. And also, like, everyone's like, oh, she's a spinster at 24. I'm like, okay, right. different times. Yes, but, different um, times. <laughs> <laughs> different times, different times. Uh, but uh, we kick off, we're in 1887, and then we have a 14-year jump into okay. 1901. So I mean, I would the say... New year, the, a, new year, the new century. 
an extremely scary era. Uh, visually. Horrifying. That t- everything is very, it's the beginning of the Industrial Revolution. So, like, there's, like, newly, everything exactly. is dark and sooty for some reason. But also you have the, like, holdovers of Victorian culture and the, like, super ornate decor. Mm-hmm. There's candlelight, but then there's also now electricity. Like, it is just a very scary, scary time to set a film like this. So I'm already, like, all in on this. Also, this and this movie, I'm so glad you brought this up, it has so many of those, like, it has industry. It has the bustling metropolis that is Buffalo, New York, you know, the center <laughs> of the world. Like, yes. it does have a young woman trying to write a manuscript and, and running up into uh, sexism. It is evoking those stories about, like, a young woman who falls in love and is led into an unspeakable situation. So it's it does, you know, has a lot of fun. And also the costumes are gorgeous. Like, the set oh. design's gorgeous. The I mean, it's Guillermo del Toro. The creature design is terrifying. Mm-hmm. Um, but so I feel like it's, like, I, I feel like I, I really, I feel everything I watch is, like, set in this year. I feel yeah. like recently, like, I, you know, I love Yellow Jackets. And like, they have, like, the comeback to the 90s. But I appreciate, okay, you're in a to- you're, we're taking you out of reality altogether. This is a totally yes. different world that yes. you get to be immersed in. And then, before we kick off, Allison, based on the limited information you have and the trailer, right. would you like to guess the twist in Crimson Peak? Guess the twist. Well, now I'm like, the brother and the sister seem <clears throat> up to something. I'm guessing that they're not or no. I think they've had sex. Um, okay. <laughs> that's not the twist, but I do want to flag that I think that that's possibly happened. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I feel like they're, like, reincarnated or, like, undead Ooh. or, like, continually, like, they're, they've done something where, like, they've been alive before mm-hmm. this. Like, that this it. is not— an excellent guess. Yeah, just from, it's- like, a couple of moments in the trailer. And speaks to, I feel like, your growing expertise as someone who has not seen the movies but has heard about enough to be like, okay, what are the elements I'm picking up on? Like, what are are we going to bring back around? So I'm very excited for that. So let us begin. And this is a a, a longer horror movie than we normally do. And it is jam-packed with a lot of different, you know, sort of like nuanced emotional plot lines. Like, it's really a gothic romance with horror elements which is, I thought, a super fun departure. So we open with, of course, a creepy lullaby. And the lyrics are, let the wind blow kindly to the sails of your dreams. And we meet our protagonist, Edith, played by Mia Wyakowska, who's great. Yeah. And we see her, and she is standing in a snowstorm. And she's covered in blood on her hands, holding it. She's staring at her blood-covered hand with a slash on her face. And we hear in voice over her say, go surreal, this much I know. We then flash back to Edith's mother's funeral uh, when okay. she was 10 years old. And we find out that her mother died of cholera, so they had a closed casket. She didn't get to kiss her goodbye. You know, there's all this stuff about, mm-hmm. you know, infection and yes, and sort yes. of this horrific death that she couldn't even see her mother's body when she died. And little tiny 10-year-old Edith is staying there in like a really fabulous white and black funeral hat. Yes. That night, she's in bed listening to the clock and the driving rain. And suddenly the clock stops and the door creaks open and we see the ghost of Edith's mother sort of lurk into the room. And also I would say Edith's mother and almost, I believe all of the ghosts are played by Doug Jones, who is sort of Guillermo del Toro's go-to creature guy. Like he played okay. the fish man in The Shape of Water. 
Okay. And he's just someone, he's done like a, all this work in all these different, you know, he's a, a creature man. So mm-hmm. he is playing these and he's terrifying with these long limbs and like long fingers. Unfortunately, mm. well, it'd be nice to see her mother as she lived or even if she would look bad with the cholera. Instead, her mother shows up and she's a completely blackened, desiccated skeleton with like a fabulous jet black gown and like a uh, a black funeral veil which you can imagine okay. as a kid is like, oh, great. My mother died. I got to deal with this shit. Yeah. Now this is here. Yeah. And we see Edith's mother sort of crawl up onto her bed with her spidery fingers. And she tells <sighs> little baby Edith, my child, when the time comes, beware of Crimson Peak. Unfortunately, we know from the title of this movie, she doesn't beware of it. And she's going to end up at Crimson Peak, wherever yeah. that is. Cut to 14 years later. We find ourselves in, I mean, it is the... Bright Lights, Big City, Buffalo, okay. New York. Okay, Obviously. it it is uh, ever there's business. There is you know the government like ever, and so we Everything. meet Edith. There. She's unmarried, childless, at twenty four. But I mean, you know, she's invigorated. She's a woman of the city. She loves the mud on the ground and the rail yard, and she is going to meet with a publisher. Mr. Ogilvy, to pitch her manuscript. And sort of like, she is like our um, Joe from Little Women. Like she has like, I'm going to be the one lady who gets to publish a book in this town. Yes. Um, And as she's going into the building, she ends up writing into an old family friend who she grew up with named Dr. Alan McMichael. And he Mm -hmm. studied abroad on the continent. He just came back to open a practice in Buffalo. He's an ophthalmologist. And as soon as you meet, obviously... Dr. Allen is is smitten with um, Edith, like probably from childhood. And it's like, oh my God, Edith, they got your solo spitzer. Okay, because I came back just in time. He's going to, he's interested, you know. And the older ladies. And exactly, it's like, well, uh, girl. And so Edith is rich. She is the daughter of Carter Cushing, who I, again, I don't know how anything works. Like I simply don't have the the knowledge. We just don't know. but based on he he's a builder, and I, I think that means he's an architect. So because he has this bustling office, and but okay. also he uh is on a board where basically they give grants to different like inventors. What do you call that? I guess he's just a rich, you know, sort of these magnates that like owned yeah. a city back then. You know, like he's just that, the the top dog in Buffalo. I feel like it's like the the current day parallel is like VCs and like the yes. Silicon Valley, where it's just like rich people just keep giving each other money and it stays among them and that's how it works. Right. He's the, the Peter Thiel of, yes. eight, of 1901. But he's he's Great. a decent man. And Edith is rich, but she's a good kind of rich, which means she knows that most rich people suck. And so she runs into, while well, she's chatting with Alan, Alan's mother, Mrs. McMichael, and Alan's sister, Eunice, and Alan's mother is like, there's, you know, a baronet in town. He traveled all the way here to meet with Eunice. And, well, you know, uh, he's he's mm. sort of like, he's from England. And he's this, like, incredibly powerful man. And Edith says, oh, I know men like that who make their money off other people's labor. A mm-hmm. parasite with a title. Oh. And, of course, all these women are like, gas. Welcome to the resistance, Edith. <laughs> yeah. But then Alan's mother, and that's what, another thing I love in this movie is, like, the dialogue is so, I feel like, I don't want to. I don't want to trash talk anything that's on TV. Mm-hmm. But for example, flight attendant. I feel okay. like a lot of things now over-explain everything. Yeah, and there's such like a judicious use of like wordplay and like ever like every character is like mm-hmm. 
like, like snide or like, you'd be like, they're not broadcasting the jokes. And I only yes. bring up Flight Attendant, because, which I really enjoy and I will watch next season. There's a scene, spoiler alert, <laughs> where the main character is speaking to someone who has, is either a spy or worked in espionage. And they're standing on the street openly discussing what's going to happen for no. the utility of moving the plot of, along. Of, yeah, in reality, right. this character would at least, you know, p- pull her into an alley or something. Something. And this movie is so good. So, you know, Edith says this insulting thing like, oh, uh, you're, oh I'm so excited for your daughter. going to marry a parasite with a title. And Ellen's mother goes, well, I mean, you know, you don't have to worry about courting, of course. You're a little Jane Austen. Though, didn't she die a spinster? Like, just like, the, <laughs> okay. like and it's like a barb, you know? Yes. I love that. And Edith says, well, I plan on being like Mary Shelley. She died a widow. And then just walks off. And all these society leaders are like, <laughs> oh, my God. They're scandalized. <laughs> I love um, it. So she makes her way into, she's pitching a Mr. Ogilvy. And he's immediately like, you know, it's a ghost story. And and Edith, like, as, you know, all horror fans, like, the ghost's a metaphor for the past, you know? It's not just a ghost story. And he said, I'm telling you now what you need is a love story. And, of course, this is also setting us up for the movie. Is mm-hmm. you can't just have a ghost story. It has to be a love story. And at, uh, that, so we kind of was like, hey, come back with the manuscript when you have a, a love story. And then maybe I, I could probably publish that. And Edith right. goes home and has dinner with her um, dad, Carter, and he's like, he only said that to me because I'm a woman. And every book a woman publishes, which is like two a year, has to have a romance. <laughs> and Carter's like, oh, I, I mean, I'm sure whatever you write would be great. And honestly, I, 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 again, I'm the president of Buffalo or whatever. So I thought for <laughs> sure that he would just buy your manuscript. So I actually got you like a celebratory, like a really nice pen. And so he gives oh. it to her. He's like, I'm sorry. And she's like, no, I, it's beautiful. But I want to type up the manuscript when I do it next um, on your typewriter at work because I want to send it to the Atlantic Monthly and publish it there, but I'm concerned my handwriting is too feminine, and they're going to figure out I'm a woman, but I'm going to disguise myself. I love her. She's thinking. She's coming up. She's got plans. You know, because she's like, okay. Imagine how long it would take to type something when you don't, like, when typing is brand new. And even, like, handwriting, like, you have to, like, make edits or, like, they didn't white out. You know what I mean? It's just, like, smudges and smears. And I guess they didn't have TV or the internet or really yeah. anything else. So it's like, well, That's I got all there a, was to do. Let's see, the sun's going down. I got a lamp and, a, well, 12 hours of nothing to do. So I suppose <laughs> I'll write a, start writing a book, you know. Right. Um, but Carter, her dad, is, like, very supportive, you know. And so we see her at his architecture office. And the secretary, Jane, is, like, setting up Edith with a typewriter. She's typing and excitedly. Just then we meet Mr. Thomas Sharp, who just arrived in town played by Tom Hiddleston at his most mm-hmm. dashing. Mm-hmm. And he approaches them and said, I, I have a meeting with Mrs., Mr. Cushing. I, I'm in town on business. And she sees Thomas Sharp's business card, and she realizes, oh, he's the baronet that Mrs. That that Mrs. Was McMichael was talking about. Exactly. And she's immediately like, oh, okay. who's this you know, tall, dark British stranger? And No one is dark. They're all so pale. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Who is this tall, ex- basically see-through British Translucent stranger? Translucent British stranger. <laughs> um, and as she started, like, gathering up her things to take him to her uh, father's office, he sees, like, the first page of her manuscript. And he's like, oh, who are you transcribing this for? It looks thrilling. And she's like, oh, it's actually me. I wrote it. He's like, oh, a ghost story. And she's like, no, again, the ghost is a metaphor. And <laughs> Thomas is like, no, no. Where I'm from, ghosts are considered very... Very, very real, which we are, of course, about to see in a minute there. 
Um, and just then, um, uh, Carter comes out and says, oh, so you've met my daughter. And immediately, Thomas and Edith, we could see there's a spark between them. Mm-hmm. He, uh, Thomas is there in town with his sister, Lucille, who we'll meet in a bit. And he is pitching a new invention. And what we find out is that his family's, uh, you know, the Sharp family in England were these, like, uh, pie—what do you call them? They, they, they were, like, the height of the clay industry. Uh, because their property okay. is over a clay mine. Is that how you get clay? I guess. I, I have no idea. I don't fucking know. And the clay that they mine is this incredibly brilliant scarlet clay. So it's obviously, like, very valuable and, like, desired. Because, mm-hmm. like, back then, it's like, oh, great, we just have this— incredibly beautiful. I don't even know what they dyed things back then. But, but yeah, so, no, they just, yeah. But unfortunately, his father squandered their family fortune and the mine was like overmined. So the, the whole mining industry around their property kind of collapsed. So mm-hmm. he's designing a new clay mining device. So again, about in, industry, you know, the industrial revolution, yes. this boom. And he's like, I just need the money to actually build it because all, the only thing I have is a little tiny functioning but miniature prototype. And I just need you, Carter and the great men of Buffalo, to give me the money to, you know, start mining again on my father's property. And I will be able, I promise you, I'm going to make you as rich as my family was. And Carter's like, you're going to waltz in here. This is America. And like goes on this whole thing where it's like, here we appreciate hard work, not a dilettante waltzing in here from a wealthy family. I know that you've pitched this all over Europe. You went to Edinburgh, London, and Milan. And I know that everyone turned you down because you can't actually make this. There's no proof that you can. I'm not going to waste my time. Like, choose him out. And while he's doing so, Edith kind of walks in. Like, she just wants to see what's going on. And here's him just going off on this guy. And basically, the moral of the story is, we're not giving you this money. I don't, this is, you're a soft-handed dilettante. Mm, yes, the ultimate you know. insult in turn of the century Buffalo. And to be fair, there's a running thing about how Thomas's hands are incredibly soft and manicured. Like everyone who touched him was like, oh, you have hands like a baby's hands, which is fun. <laughs> is and fun. so Thomas like counter pitches him hard. He's like, I'm asking for like the American chance. And this is like, why you are these, these titans of industry is because you take a chance. But Carter's like, nah, get the fuck out of here. Mm. However, you know, Thomas is still a man about town. He's still a man with a title. So that night, Carter is putting on a tuxedo. He's going to a party at uh, Ellen's mother's house. So Mrs. McMichaels, okay. who's hoping to land Thomas Sharp to sort of ship off her daughter, Eunice. She's like, I got this daughter sitting around. I'm going to, yeah, even doing if nothing. Thomas Sharp, yeah, it's kind of like they've fallen on hard times. He's still better than what's around here. You know, I can't, yes. obviously, Eunice is uh, getting a little long in the tooth. However, Edith, she's someone, she's like, I have to stay and work on my manuscript. I'm not going to just go to some party. And Alan picks up uh, Carter to drive him in his new motor car, which is like the latest thing. Everyone uses horse-drawn carriages except for him. And Alan sort of like gets him, like she's trying to like uh, have Edith join him at the party, but she says, nope, I I have my glasses on. I can't go out, you know. (laughs) And in their conversation, Edith kind of like says to her father, like, was Thomas Sharp's proposal so outrageous? And Carter says, no, there's something I absolutely loathed about him, but I don't know what it is. And it's the me not knowing that I can't stand. Something is off about him. Yes. And Edith says, well, I saw a dreamer facing defeat. You know, it's like, okay, so you know her goose is cooked. Like, she already is like— You're in. You're all in. Um, 
and so Carter and Alan go off to this to the it's not a ball but it's like a, everyone's dressed up there's gonna be dancing party. like huge yeah huge party and at the McMichaels house and Edith sits down uh, to you think she's gonna work at a manuscript and she, she looks up in her atlas book about uh. England and reads about Allerdale Hall which is this like famous mansion castle owned by Thomas Sharp's family. And she reads about the clay mine and, and that kind of thing. And she's like, well, it doesn't hurt to like know a little bit more about him. Just then, Allison, the doorknob on her bedroom door starts rattling until finally the door bursts open with the doorknobs still rattling to reveal yes. no one. Edith goes to shut the door only to see at the end of the hall her mother's ghost, who just shrieks. Again, it's like, Mom, oh. use your oh. words. <laughs> Just Th- give me this a full sentence. Fi- this would be my fear about teaming up with a villain who isn't going to be able to communicate. <laughs> exactly. And so she shuts the door, panicked, but her mother's ghost just flies through the door and course, says to her once again, beware of Crimson Peak. And, and sort of Edith is knocked to the ground in terror and then fades away. And, just and then she the can maid hear comes. and understand. Like, she's like yes. hearing that. Maybe she's not listening, but she's hearing it. Yes, she okay. can hear her mother's ghost. And this is the okay. second time that she's been visited by this ghost. Okay. And the ghost fades away just as the maid, Annie, comes and says, Oh, Miss Edith, um, Sir Thomas Sharp is at the door. I told him that your father was out, but he wants to talk to you. So Edith goes down to greet him, and he says, oh, I'm sorry, I look a mess. I'm soaking wet, but I'm going to this party. Cut to him and Edith. Edith is now, of course, like dressed to the nines, walking into the party together. Also, and like, how much like, time did that take? Like right, in I reality, think, it would be two hours. But like easy. he's like, okay, let me just throw my shit on. As soon as he's like, well, right. I, I'm soaking wet. And I stood outside your house, and she's like, uh, I will put myself together. Luckily, yes. no one like wears makeup in this. Like the women are not wearing visible makeup. I'm sure they have makeup on, obviously, as performers. Of course. And I'm like, oh yeah, like back then, like you know, maybe you had a little rouge. Exactly. Yeah. You didn't have like a smoky eye. So yeah, it's like, I guess right. that would cut down the time. You just have but to like just, wedge yourself into the dress. Yeah, it's just a lot of buttons, I think. Yeah. So as they arrive at the, at the party and everyone in Buffalo is there, we see that Thomas's sister, Lucille, who is played by Jessica Chastain, she's wearing like a crimson gown, of course. Okay. And she's mm-hmm. playing the piano. She's this incredible piano player. But when she turns to look at Thomas with Edith, oh, she doesn't look happy. Mm, no. And everyone's sort of like already scandalized. Like Tom, everybody knows that Thomas is supposed to be with Eunice. And, and it's like, oh, you arrive with a different woman. Are we just giving her a ride, you know? And Alan meets Thomas. Obviously, immediately is like, oh, so you're trying to date Edith too? Like doesn't like him. And yes. Thomas introduces her to Lucille, who is equally as frosty. And it's like, well, you've delayed my brother quite a bit. Eunice has been dying for a dance. So, um, and Edith rushes over to Mrs. McMichaels and apologizes. She's like, I'm sorry, I didn't RSVP. I'm sure you don't have a place for me at the table. And Mrs. McMichael interrupts her and says, oh, everyone has their place, dear. I'll, I'll make sure you find yours. Love it. Mm. I got it. So, this whole scene, I'm like, all, I'm all in on like the like the mothers and the daughters and the, the bitchiness. And it's just, I love fabulous. it. Fabulous. So uh, Mrs. McMichael says, Thomas is going to show everybody the waltz European style. And Thomas, you know, is in the middle of the dance floor and says, he picks up a lighted candle and says, the proper waltz is so smooth that the lead dancer can hold a lit candle and it won't go out, provided he has the right partner. And Allison, right in front of Eunice's very face, Thomas walks over to Edith and takes her hand. There's an mm, audible girl. gasp. I mean, scandal. 
And Edith, who's not like a total asshole, is like, no, I don't think so. I think Eunice <laughs> wants the first dance. Thank you. And Thomas <laughs> says, oh, I'm sure she does. And they dance, Allison. And, and everyone's like, okay, well, this makes sense. Like, they're so yes. gorgeous together. And yes, when they beautiful. when they end the dance, everyone gasps because the candle is still lit. And everyone applauds. And it's like, the right Edith, partner. I'm sorry. You're going to end up being, you know, tortured by ghosts <laughs> because yeah. this went so well. Womp womp. Eunice, Eunice is basically on the verge of tears. Like, everyone is like, oh, dear God. It says reverberations through, you know, Buffalo society. <laughs> Carter, at least, is like, wait, this guy who I didn't like and who I turned down for a loan is trying to seduce my daughter. So in the morning, yes. he goes to his private club, which, again, I don't know what that means, but he, it's like a— There used to be clubs. You know, like, when people were like, if I sit in a sauna, that's the same thing as, like, healthcare, right? So he, he yeah, goes yeah. in the morning, and he hands an envelope— to a hired man of his, Mr. Holly, for who's in from New York. So, you know, he's like mafia or something. And something. he says, I need to find all the information you have about Thomas and Lucille. I Something is going on. I think this is a grift or whatever. He's immediately mm-hmm. clocking that something is wrong. Yes. Um, Edith Go stops with your gut see. always. Exactly. Another, so Carter at least, lesson. Yes. He's going to make a huge mistake, and I will flag that in a minute here. So um, Edith stops in to see Alan. And it's like, oh, you know, you have Sir Arthur Conan Doyle as well as all your ophthalmology books. Do you fancy yourself a detective? And, of course, he will be the detective in the Mm -hmm. movie because he's going to have to figure out what's going on. And he said, no, but Sir Arthur Conan Doyle was an ophthalmologist. So I was like, that's interesting. And so Alan is really fascinated by proof of ghosts. So he's like, you know, uh, ghost photography right now is very popular and it's so easy to fake now that we have photography. Mm -hmm. But not with photos made with glass plates. And he believes, and he shows her these glass plates which sort of have, like, Im- like faded images of, like, people in the background. And he says, Now, it's my belief that houses, places, be it by chemical compounds in the earth or the minerals in the stone can retain impressions or a person that is no longer living. And I think that okay. was, like, an interesting way to, like, explain. It's like, this is real, but it's not necessarily spiritual. It's like, the people who are stuck in a place or, like, yes. a grievous harm has come to him or, or we don't—we just can't measure that yet. Of course, right. she's, uh, again, about to go to Crimson Peak and find out how very true that is. And Edith says, but why can't only some people see them? Of course, probably thinking about her mother. Like, wouldn't we see a ghost like we see any naturally occurring thing? And Alan says, mm-hmm. you know, my last patient was colorblind, but he accepts that colors exist because everyone else attests to them. And Edith says— Maybe we only see some things when the time comes for us to see them, which I'm like, I don't know if that's exactly what he was saying, but like, no. okay, you know, like, sure. uh, yeah. In and, life, yes, I think that's like a real like thing, but not uh, in ophthalmology. <laughs> right. I was like, oh, all right, I'll allow it. And yeah, Alan metaphorically, also, sure. And Alan was also like, listen, I, you know, I don't want to tell you your business, but I also think the sharps, like, something is very weirdly going on with them. And it's like, oh, yeah, I'll take that under advisement. Cut to her and Thomas on a date in the park. Obviously mm-hmm. falling in love. And it's like, uh, you know, fall is setting in. And she has given him her new version of the manuscript with a love story. And he's like, you know, if you go hang out with my weird sister in the park for a little while, I'll finish it right now and tell you what I think. And so she used to go <laughs> hang out with fucking Lucille. And who's like Lucille. the most dour, sour-faced. I mean, stunning. Jessica yes. Chastain. But, but like literally frigid a, and awful. Right, someone you don't want to hang out with. Um, but, you know, if you want to date her um, brother, you know. And so as Edith walks over, Lucille is cutting a cocoon off a tree, and it, we see that it's near a pile of downed butterflies who are all dying because there's, like, a cold snap. And Edith mm-hmm. says, oh, that's so sad. And Lucille says, 
No, it's not sad, Edith. It's nature. It's like, shut your mouth. Okay. What Just enjoy wrong? anything. I can't wait till a ghost kicks your ass. Like, I can't <laughs> wait till, like, a toilet explodes while you're sitting on it. Like, I hate, from the jump, you're like, you were the worst. Like, yeah. oh, I'm sorry. I have to think that butterflies dying is, like, cool or natural. Yeah. And so Lucille tells Edith, and obviously it's a, it's all a metaphor, but she's like, the ghost is a metaphor. She's like, beautiful things are fragile. At home, we only have black moths. And Edith says, well, what do they eat? Lucille says, butterflies, I'm afraid. And she takes, she's holding a dying butterfly in her hand and puts it down into an anthill. And we see the ants like tearing into the butterfly's eyes and like scream. Why? Ants misbehaving. I don't know. Awful. Again, huge red flag. But yeah, unfortunately, you know, Edith is in and we see Lucille telling Thomas in a private moment, I don't know about this. She's so young. She's basically a child. And Thomas is like, I've explained this. This is what's happening, and I need the ring. And Lucille pulls this big, fat, hideous ruby ring off her finger and gives it to him, and she's like, that, that ring is mine, and I earn it, and I want it back. And Thomas says, well, if things go to plan, you will be getting it back. So obviously they're going to try to, like, okay, run a game on Edith and Something. potentially fucking offer. Yeah. Yeah. So that night, uh, Thomas attends his big dinner at Carter and Edith's house, and right as he's about to propose to her, who he's known for, what, three weeks— Barely? Um, Carter uh, Carter receives a dossier from Mr. Holly, the hired goon, and is like, good Lord, look at all these papers. And he, he, he basically is like, Thomas and Lucille, I need to speak to you. And he calls him into the office. And he is in a, in a, it was like a perfect moment of like, he hands them the dossier so we see them react to it, but we don't know what's in it. And this okay. is where Carter makes a huge mistake. He says, the jig is up. I know about you. I know what you're trying to do. And I'm going to write you a check, which reminded me of that SNL. Have you said SNL checks? Oh, sketch. checks. Yes. Checks. And checks. like how glamorous. And it's like how you only use it to pay like blackmail and stuff. So he writes, yes. I'm writing you a check. And you will be on the first train to New York in the morning. And you will break my daughter's heart tonight. And you will break up with her in such a way that she will not regret that you have left town. Which is very hard to do. That is challenging. Though I guess they've only known each other for a few weeks. So she could probably get over it. But Thomas and, you know, like, Lucille are reacting like, oh, whatever is in the dossier is true. And Carter says, that's the first honest reaction I've seen out of you. So, unfortunately, Carter has made the fatal horror movie mistake. Mm -hmm. I'm going to tell my daughter first thing in the morning about what I found out. Not right now. I'll do it after breakfast. Then she'll know about the horrible stuff about you. But I got (laughs) other stuff going on. So maybe after lunch or a couple days. The point of it is you guys leave town in the morning. And then at some point, my daughter will know. Do you tell them right away? Yeah. You tell your daughter immediately if you find out horrible things about this guy she's interested in. Also, like, that'll make it a lot easier for her to get over it. Like, if it's like, oh, they were were trying to run some kind of, like, scam or, like, whatever it is. Exactly. It'll make it easier for, like, you're doing, you're not doing the thing that would help solve the problem that you were asking him to do. Yes, and again, again, take that horror movie rule number 12,092. Tell everyone immediately what you found out. Don't, yes. hey, you know, I got, got a meeting and then a late brunch. And then after that, I'll tell, <laughs> I'll tell somebody about it. Insane. Don't sit on information. So at dinner, Carter stands up and is like, oh, Thomas has some information for everybody. And Thomas says, yes, me and my sister are going back to England. We're going to New York and then we're flying back. Or not flying. <laughs> we're, we're taking a boat back. <laughs> um, and we're flying back. We are vampires. No, that'd be a fun time. But he's like, oh, we're leaving town. And Edith's like, oh, my God. And then yeah, I thought you were just about to propose to me. And Edith runs out of the room distraught. And, and Thomas stops. He's like, 
Yes, we're leaving town. And also, I read that new manuscript and it's ab absurdly sentimental. Clearly, you know nothing of love. Perfection has no place in love. You're just a spoiled child. And she slaps him in the face in front of all the dinner guests. Oh, and you know, all I the love that. The guests who have been at both parties are like, oh my God. Like, that would be all you would talk about for like months. It's like, you will not believe what happened at the, the Cushing's dinner party, you know? What a week for the city of Buffalo's, you know, high yeah. society. I mean, they got, you know, they need something to They talk need about. something. What else is, and like, they're coming into winter, <laughs> right. there's going to be nothing going on. So in the morning, Carter goes to his private club, and the attendant is like, uh, he's like, could you give me breakfast, and I'm going to give myself a straight razor shave. I, Don't have a straight razor around is, is one ever. tip of mine. Um, however, once the attendant leaves, Carter, hears a sound, and he's distracted, but he's like, it's probably nobody looking around. I'm rich. How could anyone get in here? He, uh, his straight razor falls to the ground, and when he bends to pick it up, he turns around, and there's a figure all in black who grabs Carter and slams his skull figure? into the sink. Yes, a human figure, just Ooh. dressed like, you know, incognito. In black, right. Slams his skull and then slams into the sink over and over again until his skull caves in and the part of the oh. sink cracks off, and he dies. And I'm like, yeah. really, nobody would have heard that. Like, I understand maybe they're like in a different part of the building. I guess buildings were better made. Like now, yeah. you know, I could hear somebody sneeze like in the next building, but right. Unfortunately, Edith wakes up. She slept late. You know, she's obviously crying all night over Thomas. And Annie has arrived with her manuscript and a letter from Thomas Sharp. And that dirty dog has written in the letter. I'm sorry, we're leaving today. Your father forced me to leave because he thought I didn't have the money or status that your, his daughter needed, but I will come back to you once I prove to him that I am man enough. Like, writes this flowery thing. And of course, Edith's like, oh, my dad tried to interfere, and then runs to their hotel, but they've already checked out. Wow. So all is lost. Or is it? No, Thomas is standing right there because it's all a part of the scheme. Of and he's like, I can't leave you. And they have their first, like, romantic kiss, and the early sunlight blazes in. Of course, when they get back to Edith's house, Ferguson, her dad's lawyer's there, it's like, oh, I got bad news out. Your dad's fucking dead. So she yeah. has to go to the morgue to identify him. And she goes with Thomas. This poor girl. And also, Ferguson is the name of Winston's cat on New Girl. So if a listener wants to have seen New Girl, just imagine the cat is the her dad's lawyer. Well, that's, that's kind of fun. Yeah. So they would she love has to go in. Lawyer. A little kitty lawyer in a little suit. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they bring her <laughs> in and, um, like— um, that she has to identify, and Alan runs in, and Alan's like, don't make her look at the body. I was his physician. I can identify it. And they're like, yeah, Alan, this isn't about you. Like, it's his mm-hmm. daughter, obviously. And she unfortunately has to see his bastion head, and it's awful. Both Ferguson and the uh, coroner's like, yeah, we think he just fell and hit his head in the sink. We're not exactly sure. It's like, this motherfucker's head is caved Clearly in. Clearly now. Clearly now. That's not a fall. And also, it's like, but I guess, like, if the pol- if the police are fucking up nowadays, you think they're not, they weren't, like, oh, I don't God. know, probably a horse kicked him. I'm, I don't want to have to do anything. You know, like, I, I imagine yeah. there's a lot of those kinds of deaths. Yep. And then vice versa, people being uh, put in prison who uh, did not commit any crimes. Yep. And Edith is devastated, but unfortunately, now the only person she has left to turn to is Thomas. Horror rule number 1,006,892 if your extremely rich, prominent millionaire father has, quote, an accident on the very day that you know he paid a young man to leave town yes. to break off with you, maybe yes. think about if those two things are connected. But unfortunately, yeah, put she's too those distraught. pieces together. Yeah. And uh, next thing we see, we're at uh, 
Edith's father's funeral and Alan's there too. And he sees she is now wearing that huge, ugly ruby ring. She is betrothed to Thomas. Next thing you know, they're rolling up to Allerdale Hall in Cumberland, England, which is literally the fucking ass end of the world. Like it is the armpit of nowhere. Not a tree. And so it's like this gigantic crumbling mansion, manse, um, on a huge property with these big clay drilling machines that have kind of fallen into dereliction. Is that how you get clay? I have to assume. I don't know enough about it. I mean, look, the things we don't know about clay. Yes. <laughs> the could fill a book. Could fill a podcast. Could uh, fill a podcast. Episode. So they roll up and uh, the groundskeeper, Finley, greets them. And, and Tom says, oh, uh, this is Edith, meet my wife. And Finley says, oh, I know your wife. So you've been married for quite a while. And that's the first thing where Edith's like, Huh, that's, that's an interesting thing to say. Well, why would he say that? He almost is like, don't know why. I don't know. It's crazy. He's worked here for a long time. He's probably insane or whatever. A little <laughs> dog runs off. I think it's like a little, like, um, not a Pomeranian, but like those Pompilion. Like, I don't, one yeah. of those little tiny white and brown dogs with like long hair. Very cute. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And he, he runs, the dog runs off all excited. And he's like, oh my gosh, is this a stray? Like, and Thomas is like, I don't, there's no other houses for miles, and the town is half a, a day's walk away. So they are in the middle of nowhere, could not be me. They're completely isolated. Yeah, no, this is not, like, also, like, girl, you were rich and living in Bright Lights, Big City, Buffalo. Yes. Like, what, what are you doing now, like, in the middle of a nowhere, like, yes. this is not a good choice. But, however, we know by now that love is not rational and love involves a lot of ghosts. And so she says, can I keep him? And Tom's like, yeah, you can keep the dog. They walk into the house, Allison. It is gigantic, but it is incredible and beautiful, but incredibly run down. To the point that when they walk into sort of the great room, there's a huge fucking hole in the ceiling that's like four stories up. So not simply to, it's like the first floor, the second floor, the third floor, the attic, to the fucking sky— so Jesus. there is always, like, leaves or snow coming down. To me, no. I'd be like, I'm going to turn this shit around. Yeah. Get if the fuck out of here. If you're going to expect me to live here, we're going to fix this out. This is a real yeah. HGTV a real scenario. Yeah. And so he tells her, yes, I, I'm, we're trying to maintain the house. We just don't have the money, you know, between the rain, the cold, the age of the house, and the fact <laughs> that the clay mines are directly below the house. The wood is rotting, and the house is sinking. And when he steps on a certain floorboard— Blood red clay just seeps up through the fucking floorboards. I was like, Ugh. you're not gonna, the house is gonna collapse on you. Yeah, you before cannot you get live to the ghost. Yeah. And Thomas is like, oh, I'm gonna get everything ready for you. And Edith takes a minute to take off her, she's like a fabulous traveling hat. And she's looking in a hallway mirror and she takes out a hat pin. And as she looks in the mirror, behind her, a figure walks in front of the lit fireplace. It is her mother's ghost. Allison, I gotta ask at this point, Mm-mm. what would you do? What would you do? I'm turning around and going back to America. Like, 100%. I just, 100%. like, I don't know. Maybe I've never been in the kind of love that would, like, let you ignore all of these things. But, like, you know, I'd be like, Couldn't well, this be is me. a great— not me. Gone, baby, um, gone. Gone in 60 seconds. Gone, girl. Like, gone I'd be girl. like, this Yeah, I'll is fake one my own death. I don't care. It's one thing to be in love. It's another thing to be like, not only is the house fucking collapsing, it's freezing in here. There, yeah. I've already seen a ghost. And there's, yeah, right. It's like, my mom, my dead mom is here now. Like, yeah. no, let's go back. Like, it's not like she's poor and needs to go with this rich exactly. man. She's like, her, you're she's inherited. Rich. 
Yeah, she's not probably the richest woman in Buffalo. To me, I stay there. I'm not a widow. Oh, no, no. I'm not, like, a single 24-year-old, you know, like, I could write band scripts. I could marry whoever I want. Like, yeah. I am a queen of Buffalo. There's an ophthalmologist doing? that's in the mix. Like, what are we doing? But, again, it is of the, you know, like, the that the tradition yes. of, like, the, the woman of this era. Like, I fall in love with a dangerous man with a terrible secret, and I end up in the middle of fucking nowhere. So, yeah. While no one knows what tomorrow may bring, Bridgestone is working toward a more positive outlook. With innovations like developing a tire using 75% recycled and renewable materials. It's just one of the many ways Bridgestone is making a difference today. For generations to come. Because that's what really matters. Bridgestone. Solutions for your journey. Visit whatreallymatters.com to learn more. Rack your look for spring at Nordstrom Rack. And save up to 60% on brands you love. Rag & Bone, Vince, Marc Jacobs, Adidas, Joes, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. Score new dresses, denim, sandals, designer bags, and sunglasses. Plus, updates for the family and home. Get your spring on for less, up to 60% less, today at your Nordstrom Rack store. What will you find? Here she is. And for some reason, Edith is like, and this is my interpretation of this, because it is clear to me that the figure we see is a ghost. Maybe it's not her mother's mm. ghost, but it is a ghost. It's Edith, a ghost. Despite having met her mother's ghost twice, you'd think by this point she'd be like, did I really see that or was that a ghost? However, she follows the figure and the figure descends in an elevator. Allison, there's an, an elevator. elevator in the house, like an old-timey, crickety yeah. elevator that descends into the mine. And I don't no. think they would have done this because in reality, like, the clay fumes and, like, whatever chemicals are in there. I don't, yeah. I, no human would live in there, but if, for the design of the film, it makes yes. more sense. Yeah. Again, I, I'm willing to, yeah. you know, suspend that reality. Yes. Clay, uh, and also the clay, if, you, if you're a clay miner, uh, please let us know. We, we don't yeah. have the information. We don't know anything about clay mining. Meanwhile, the little dog has found a rubber ball. And he's like, that's weird because he said it was a stray. So, like, why would there be dog toys in the house? Yeah. A great question, Edith. Great Just question. then, Lucille shows up and is like, oh, God, all right, this bitch has to live with us. And she's like, oh, I went to the post office. The only place there is to go is the post office. And again, it's like an eight-hour carriage right, right away. It's a, a, they're in the middle of nowhere. It's not like you pop over to a neighbor's house. Right. And she said, oh, you know, uh, Thomas, the new parts the like that you ordered are in from Birmingham. And he's like, oh, wonderful. We'll go out there, and, and then I'll be able to start working on my clay digging machine. Really a honeymoon. <laughs> like, it's like a newlywed paradise, you know? Yeah. Being able to go to yeah. the post office. We're mining clay, and your sister's here, and the house sucks. Like, so, cool. Yeah. What a life. <laughs> And Lucille's a huge bitch, and, and Edith tries to, like, warm up to her and be like, I want this house to contain nothing but friendship and love and warmth, but Lucille is not having it. And so Thomas says, let me take you upstairs. I'll, I'll start a fire and run a hot bath and warm you up. And, uh, by the way, of course, when we turn the water on, it will, of course, run blood red uh, until it clears up. Before she goes, Edith asks Lucille for a copy of the house keys. And Lucille says, you don't need them. And he's just like, oh, excuse me, because this is my house, too. And Lucille's like, um, well, the house has many parts that are dangerous, uh, many dangerous areas because of mine, just, I would say, take a few days, familiarize yourself with the uh, with the rooms, and if you still want a copy off of that, after that, I guess I could have one made. It's, AKA, no. if you're alive after a couple of days, I guess I'll make you we'll a copy. We'll give you a key. You know. So, in the bathroom, Edith is taking a bath, while we hear, well, we, the audience, see Lucille and Thomas conspire, 
And she said, I thought you said the dog was dead. Tom says, I left it out there on its own. I assumed it would die. Lucille says, well, how did it survive out there all along for so long? For how all alone for so long? Must have been living off scraps. So this is clearly uh, somebody else's dog. That okay. person ain't around anymore. And they nope. just dumped the dog, assuming that it would die. And Tom says, well, we'll never have to do any of that again after, you know, this one last scheme, the one last grift, you know. Mm. And Lucille says, well, Edith's money, Edith's money hasn't arrived yet. So essentially, they want Edith to sign over her entire inheritance, which is huge, in order to make a machine to make the mine work, which is like, no, okay, grow not up. No, problem. Move to Buffalo. Like, it's right. like, you could be living in the lap of luxury. You don't have to have clay oozing out of the fucking walls. It's not freezing. Right. There's not a hole in the roof. Who cares? I don't get it. So, well, Edith's in the bathtub. The dog keeps running over the ball, and she keeps throwing it to him until finally the dog fails to come back, and she's trying to peer. There's like a hallway between her bathroom and her bedroom, mm -hmm. um, the master bedroom. Allison, as Edith cranes her neck to see down the hallway, a twisted, deformed silhouette leans into the door frame mm. from the darkness of the hallway. And again, he, Edith repeatedly does things that I don't understand. When she, she gasps, but then she looks again, and it's gone. She doesn't immediately run buck naked outside and just keep screaming and run. Yeah, that's like she's what like, I would do. Oh, I'm sorry. I've seen a ghost before. It's probably just a ghost or whatever. So we see her get up, and she's putting her robe on. And as she's putting her robe on, her back is to the door. And we see the, the figure, like, shambling up through the darkness, accompanied by the sound of squelching and flies and, like, bones cracking. Ugh, and so the, finally— the ghosts it's, in the trailer are— So good. —so gross and so scary. And it emerges finally into the light of the bathroom, and it is a bright red, the color of the clay, eyeless skeleton woman in, like, a crimson robe. Cool. And it screams! But when Edith turns around, there's nothing there. Again, get out of there. Get out of there. there. Get out of there. Even if you're like, I'm clearly seeing things, I'm clear, like, maybe it's the clay fumes or whatever. Like, I'd be like, well, this just isn't a place I'm living. Yeah. So that evening, Thomas brings Edith a cup of firethornberry tea. And he's like, oh, it, he it heals what ails you. Yeah, it's very good for you. It's like, okay, Gwyneth. And she drinks yeah. it. She's like, oh, it's very bitter. Obviously, we know she it's poison. So now, anytime she's like, I, I feel weird about tea ghosts. Or it's very cold in here. They're like, you know what's going to help you? A cup of the firethornberry tea. Ooh, it's going to hit good. Like, that's all they let her drink, basically. But, you know, Thomas, when they're together, they do still sort of have a connection. So it's sort of like, as they're chatting, Edith is like, all right, well, I'm, we're married. So, like, let's do this, let's you do know? This. I am a 24-year-old virgin. I We got to start somewhere, you know, Thomas. Oh, God, right. However, she doesn't say this, of course, it's, you know, 1901. But Thomas is like, all right, I'm going to take a bath. And if you fall asleep by the time I'm done, I won't wake you up. And Edith is kind of crestfallen. It's like, oh, they haven't had sex at all. They haven't consummated the, mar yes. the marriage. Right. And I, I did think, well, Allison, this, that would be the one thing that put you over the edge. <laughs> you know, like, ghosts, horrible, run-down right. house, horrible, all the clay, horrible. But it's like, also, you don't even get to have sex with me. It's like, I right. am leaving. I'm what are you out of here. What is it this for me? <laughs> isn't that is just pure point? shit? Like, it, you think, especially when you're the time. just so unbelievably in love with somebody that you're going to throw away your incredible life Tire in Buffalo life. to you're go to, live yes. above a crumbling clay mine with a guy and his sister, you should at least be having, like, a damn good fuck life. Exactly. Unfortunately, Edith remains unpenetrated, as far as we know. 
Um, in the morning, she wakes up and she hears Lucille playing the piano. Again, she's this incredible virtuoso, like she plays all the time. And Lucille does sort of open up and she's like, you know, Thomas and I were never allowed in this room. I could never play the piano. We were confined to the nursery in the attic. But sometimes we'd hear mother play and we would drift up no, through the floorboards. And it's, it's such a great moment when she says mother. Edith looks up and there's like a 20-foot tall portrait of the most comically severe elderly woman who is wearing the giant, ugly red ruby ring. So okay. that ring that she has received is Family. Mama Sharp's ring. Got it. Lucille also shows Edith the building's library, and she's like, you know, some of these books have four-edged illustrations, which you don't see until you bend the pages. And when she bends the pages, sort of you see on the um, edge of the page, it creates a drawing. You ever see those, like, Japanese, like, erotic woodcut it? Part, uh, drawings. Mm-hmm. Yes. And it's of a couple 69ing, which I thought was very funny, where it's like, That's hey, funny. I know uh, I've been nothing but a bitch, but look at this, you know? <laughs> and she gives it to Edith and says, I can't imagine this will shock you now that you and Thomas, well, I'm just assuming. And Edith says, well, no, we, uh, he's very respectful. I was in mourning and, well, you know, I was just, we were moving and we did the boat. It's You'd be like, it just started implying, like, well, but we didn't have any sex, but, you know, and Lucille says, well, in time, all things will be right. And everything Lucille says, oh, it's supposed to be comforting. It's like, okay, but we know that means you're trying to kill this lady, you know? Yeah. Also, like, I just don't need my sister-in-law asking me a ton about fucking her brother. Right, exactly. Well, you'd <laughs> think so, but unfortunately. But not these two. She might have a lot of insight in that. Back in beautiful New York, Buffalo, New York, we see that the Cushing home is being sold off and all the asses liquidated. Um, as Ferguson and Alan sort of oversee it, and they're both like, it seems too quick. He, he just died. I mean, we're going to dump all his stuff. And as they're moving stuff out of the office, Alan sees Carter's, like, checkbook and sees a check stub to Thomas Sharp the day before Carter died. So now Alan's like, okay. oh, I knew there was something weird about this, and I'm going to start investigating what the fuck is going on. Great. Thank God Great. for Alan. Thank God Meanwhile, for Alan. Back in England, Edith takes this nightmare elevator up to the terrifying attic, which is, of mm. course, filled with moths. Oh, and she God. she hears well. this moaning, and she walks past this old-timey wheelchair, and she doesn't see, but we see a ghost, also played by Doug Jones, sort of reach out to her like a wish is like fog and then disappear. Yeah. So there's like ghosts that even she doesn't see that we, that we get to see. And she finds Thomas in his lab, which is the best room in the house. Like, uh, it has windows and, like, a roof and all these mechanical dolls and the things he's room. made. Yeah, I mean, like, if you wouldn't believe it. And he's made all these, like, beautiful, like, mechanical toys and stuff. And she's like, oh, you're, like, very talented at this. And he goes, oh, you're so different. And she laughs and says, different from who? And Thomas like, yeah. oh, you know, like, everybody. Not, like, a specific person. Not, not simply, like, a specific wife I may have had in the past. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> like, he's so obviously like, oh, you know. And finally they kiss. And they have this, like, moment. And they're both, like, passionately into it. And they hear, of course, fucking Lucille busting in with more tea. I mean, and Lucille knows that she's breaking up this moment, you know? Yes, of course. So that night, Edith wakes up, the dog is barking, and Thomas is out of bed. And she follows the dog barking to find it trapped inside of a closet and scratching on the inside. She's like, how did this happen? Of course, as soon as she opens the door, we see this blood-red ghost face of a woman in the slit hey. of the door. And she throws the door open, but instead of a ghost or the dog, she finds a box of wax cylinder recordings. And again, the okay. ghost was leading her to them, is what I we see. understand. And just then okay. the dog appears at the end of the hallway. The dog is sort of always a fake out. Like, dog's always like, I'm just a dog. Like, I'm yeah. not doing any of this Who, stuff. Me? Being tricked. Yeah. Just doing dog stuff. Just then, Edith hears moaning and whips around and 
sees the animate skeletonized torso of a woman pulling itself out of the floor like it's pulling it out of, I don't know, maybe like a clay pit and starts Ugh. crawling towards her screaming. He does, of Ghost crawling out. is a specific kind of crawling, I think, yes. that is pretty horrific. Like, it's very elbow-based. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, I mean, I don't All even know elbows. how you would— I guess if you only have the upper torso, you got to go elbows. That's like your yeah, main you're all, that's all you got is elbows and chest, elbows and chest. Edith runs to the elevator, and of its own accord, it takes her all the way down into the mine, and she <gasps> finds a trunk with the no. name Enola graved on the lock. Engraved on the lock. On the property, Thomas is using his new machine to dig up the clay, and Edith runs up. It's like, did anyone die in this house? And Thomas is like, oh, let's see, my run-down, hundreds-of-years-old house. It's 1801. Of course people have died in the house. Where else yeah. are you supposed to die? There's no hospital around here. Yeah, people and just die me, at home. I need to make my machine. And just that he touches the, the clay machine and it burns horribly, like, his arm. So Edith takes him inside and, and bandages him up. And Thomas is like, I'm a failure and I dragged you out here. And I'm, I'm, I'm sorry about that. And he's like, no, you know, you're all I have. And they do this moment where Thomas is like, oh, boy, I feel bad about all that stuff we're planning to do this lady. You know, you can see him sort of realizing, like, maybe whatever we're planning to do is not such a great idea. Yeah. And Thomas says, well, my only problem is I have to figure out how to get this machine to work before the first snowfall because then the ground is too hard to dig. And you'll find out when it snows. That's why they call this place Crimson Peak. Mm. And Edith stops cold. It's like, oh, bitch, what did you say? He says, yes, like, when it snows, the ore— no, well, oh, I guess that's not what it's named. That's not what the no, house is named. No, it's called Allendale Hall. Okay, but also, so this is just like a nickname for a house. I'm just saying, you. this is a house where you're seeing multiple ghosts. Wouldn't you connect that to, oh, you know who, another ghost that showed up twice in my life, at least? Yeah, and both times mentioned times. this phrase. Also, like, I don't need the phrase Crimson Peak to know I shouldn't be living there. Right, you, it doesn't matter if your mother told you about Crimson Peak. It, the first night when you saw, you've seen at least two ghosts. Yes. Get the fuck out of there. And But Thomas says the ore from the red clay sort of leaches up through the snow. So when it's snowing, it, the, the snow becomes blood red. And everyone calls it Crimson Peak. That Back is in Buffalo, terrifying. Alan meets with Ferguson and says, I think this is too fishy. I think that Carter was murdered. And I think Thomas Sharp and Lucille had something to do with it. And because I, I think he tried to wanted to marry his daughter and, and get his fortune for his right. goddamn clay digging machine. And Ferguson says, now that you mention it, Absolutely, you're right. And I know that Carter had hired this Mr. Holly to do some research, but I didn't know what it was about. I, 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 we have to find out what that Mr. Holly found out about the couple. Yes. Again, Alan Ferguson doing the legwork. At least somebody is. In a dream, Edith sees, again, another terrifying image, far off in the field, a floating woman's corpse pointing over a field. And in real life, she wakes up coughing blood, Okay. Find, well, it again, is 1901. I feel like that happened oh, all the time. <laughs> she's probably like, that's probably what my period is. I don't have any yeah. science information. <laughs> we still barely know much more than that for women. So <laughs> She finds that Thomas is once again out of bed, and she hears children laughing in the attic. But even this is seen enough to be like, all right, if a ghost is here, I'm just going to get up. And she holds her hand out to the air, holding like a candelabra, and says, if you're here, contact me. Touch my hand. Unfortunately, one of them grabs her and throws her to the ground. Of course. And in the bathroom, in the bathroom, Edith hears a woman scream. It gets cut off abruptly, and she slowly walks inside and to find the, br- the bright red corpse of a woman in the tub. And Alice just has got a cleaver buried in her head. 
Which okay. tells us there's been one, at least one brutal murder in the house, and now yes. the ghost is out and about. Yes. And as if that wasn't bad enough, Eve freaks out, runs to the hallway screaming for Thomas, only to find another bright red corpse, ostensibly a different woman, who whispers, leave here, your blood will, his blood will be on your hands. Are we talking okay. about Thomas? Get we don't know. out of there. And even if a ghost is telling you to leave, you leave. Sorry. Right. I listen to ghosts. I think if they know something, it's probably correct. Absolutely. They're dead. They don't bother me. So finally she finds Thomas and Lucille. They're like, no, it was probably just the wind or whatever. I don't know. Have some more tea. And Thomas says, you know what will be good? We'll take a day trip. We'll go to the post office and get you out of the house. And he is like, I have to leave, leave. I am leaving. I have to get out of here. And Lucille says, but this is your home now. You have no other place to go, which is technically true. But Edith is like, I got. I, I. I'm not going to be content with going to the post office for a day, you know. Right. So Lucille and Thomas are like conspiring, and Lucille says, "We just need her to officially sign the papers, and then I want this over with, you know. Like wrap it up, okay. you know. So go to the post office, and then she done. And you know, and it's sort of like, yeah, like the once she signs it over, it's her handwriting, and it's not like people in Buffalo have Facebook to like check on whether she's still alive. You know, she's totally isolated. Um, we, they right. go to the post office and because Thomas is so excited, he's got all of his special parts and the postal worker says, oh, are you Lady Sharp? I have your mail. And there are two letters from her lawyer and then a letter from Milan. And she's like, I don't know anyone in Milan. And she's like, well, it says Lady E Sharp. So I am assuming it's you. So he gives her that letter as well. E Sharp. Okay. And Thomas says, okay, we got to get back on the road. There's a blizzard setting in. And the postal worker's like, well, we have a room to let. So if you don't want to worry about it, just have your horses stay at our barn. You guys could stay here. Finally, a fucking room. It's like super cozy. It's not like yeah. a, a ghost house or whatever. And other people know you're there and are aware of like, oh, if something happens, like they're here. Like, yeah. And they kind of like connect and she tells them like, oh, you know, the characters in my book, like they tell me what they want. They transform. They make decisions. Mm. Obviously, Thomas is the character who's going to have to like, make decisions about what role he wants to have in this. And Edith says, why don't we just fucking leave? Like, why do you want to do this so much? Like, I'm rich. We are rich now. We go anywhere. We could go back to Buffalo or we could go to Milan and sort of like sees him react to that. Mm -hmm. And he says, have you ever been there? He's like, yes, I I have. I I went once. Finally, Allison, away from Lucille and the giant hole in the ceiling and the constant haunting. Yes, the hauntings are... Yeah. Interrupters. <laughs> they finally consummate their their marriage, and it's like passionate, romantic, and the snow's coming down outside. And it's nice that oh, they got to have it. that one moment together because shit's about to yeah. hit the fan. Yeah. Well, good for them. Back in Buffalo, Alan tracks on Mr. Holly, and he gets what was in the dossier. And Allison, the reason that Carter didn't want Thomas to marry Edith is he's already married. In the morning, uh-huh. Edith and Thomas return to Crimson Peak. And it's like, oh, hello, Lucille. Oh, my God, let me tell you all about the post office. And Lucille whips around, and she's at an 11. She's like, where were you? You stayed the night with him. This is all a game to you. And she, like, slams, like, a big hot skillet of food against the table. And Edith is like, he's my husband. Like, what are we arguing yeah. about? Like, right. what are you talking— Oh, yes. God. And this is like, oh, no, I just I thought you had an accident. I didn't know you were going to stay away. I, I can't be alone. And uh, it's like, okay, well, this is another sign that something is terribly wrong. And yes. he tells her, oh, you know, I don't feel well. And Lucille's like, I'll make you some of that poison. I mean, fire thornberry tea. And she tr- yeah. as she turns around, um, you know, uh, Edith snatches her mail back up to mm-hmm. sw- secret it away. And then she sees um, the gigantic ring of keys that Lucille keeps on her at all times. Yes, janitor style. And on the ring of keys, 
we see a key that has the name Enola, and she's able to sneak it off of the keychain. Oh, okay. Got to get in that box. So she she goes up to her room. She opens up. It's a piece of mail. It's Ferguson saying, okay, if you really want to sign over your all of your wealth to Thomas Sharp, just sign here. But luckily, and she's about to do what that good pen her father did, and that kind of gives her pause. So she opens the letter from Milan, and she realizes it's written to Mrs. Sharp, however. However, it's written to Mrs. Enola Sharp. Enola, obviously. A different. So she finally goes down into the mine and unlocks the trunk that says Enola, and she finds a gramophone so she could play those wax cylinder recordings she found in the closet. Okay. And packets of information, not just from Milan, but from London and Edinburgh. The other cities he had been to pitching his clay machine. Exactly. And just then, Eden sees these huge tanks of liquid clay are locked shut. So Eden doesn't know dummy. She takes a pole and she fucking breaks one of the locks and sort of like sticks a pole into the clay and a skeletonized corpse emerges from the goo. No. Meanwhile. I don't think so. Yeah. I mean, no, I, again, just like, screaming no. out into the snow. I would just be like, I'll just walk. Yeah. If my feet fall off, that's, I'd rather that yeah. than wherever it's I'd about to go down I'd rather die here. walking, you know, four miles in the middle yeah. of nowhere than spend one more second in this haunted incest house. Yeah. So, fortunately, Thomas is there, and he's got, like, a foreman and some workers, and his machine seemingly just starts to work, and he's able to get the red clay out of the ground. He's like, oh, Lucille, I can't wait to show Edith. And Lucille's like, excuse me? We care about Edith now? Don't you know we're poisoning yeah. this bitch? And he said, and Finley says, we just need more coal for the machine for a proper test. But when Lucille pulls out her keys to go get the coal from the coal hut, again, I don't know where it, how like they did locker, anything. Like a locker, maybe a coal closet. She sees the Enola key is gone, and she realizes that Edith took it. And Edith has barely gotten back upstairs with the stuff she found in the Enola trunk. Yes. Lucille is on her like a dog, trying to find out, like, well, what do you know? You know, whatever. But doesn't want to reveal it. Like, I know you took the of key. Course. Right. But he is like, oh, I, you know, could you give me some cold water? And when Lucille goes to fill a glass, Edith sneaks the key back onto the key, you know, ring. Yes. And Lucille's like, all right, well, uh, I just, I don't feel well, but I'm going to go sign those papers now. And Lucille's like, all right, whatever. Realizing as soon as she sees the key, the, the game is afoot. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Obviously, she knows what's going on. Oh, boy. Yeah. However, for some reason, they leave Edith alone, which at this point you shouldn't be doing because she's able to, like, figure things out. Right. And that night, as the snow comes down, still a blizzard, they're basically snowed in at this point, Edith plays the wax cylinders. And she hears a recording from a woman named Pamela in London who is in a old-timey wheelchair. So when we saw that ghost in the wheelchair okay. earlier, we're presuming it's Pamela. Yeah. Margaret from Edinburgh, again. And then finally, Enola Schiatti, the, the Italian uh, oh, woman wow. from Milan. And she hears Enola saying, Whoever finds these, no, they're killing me. And even worse, Allison, Edith finds a photo of a baby. And in a panic, Edith, who is, again, still coughing of blood, looking horrible, weak, tries to to flee, only to be driven back by the blizzard. And when she (sighs) wakes up, Lucille is there bringing her more tea, which brings me to my question, Allison. Who will survive? survive. I mean, I think uh, Lucille's gotta die. Yeah. I just need that bitch gone. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that Edith will survive um, and perhaps okay, be the end of this nightmare and that um, what's his name? Tom Hiddleston. Thomas, yeah. Oh, Thomas, perfect. Um, will also die. And what do we think about Alan? I think Alan will unfortunately die. 
Okay. Um, in like learning too much and then try and then intervening in a way that is, of course, not the correct way to do things. Did you know Bridgestone developed a tire using 75% recycled and renewable materials? Making a difference today for future generations. That's what really matters. Bridgestone, solutions for your journey. Visit whatreallymatters.com to learn more. Price drop, time to shop. Get to a Nordstrom Rack store today for first dibs on new markdowns. Now score even more, up to 70% off brands everyone loves at Nordstrom Rack. Denim, dresses, sneakers, tops, and more. Plus, get genius deals on jackets, sweaters, and boots for the whole family. Shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and save up to 70% with new markdowns. But hurry, deals this great won't last. In the morning, Edith, of course, begs to see a doctor. Like, I'm coughing up blood, I'm weak, I, I whatever. And Lucille's like, oh, you know, we're snowed in, so I'm going to tend to you. I tend to my mother before her death. You know, our father broke her leg in two places, and she was in bed for years, and I had to take care of her, and I'll do the same with you. And don't worry, you'll be out of this bed soon. Oh, in no. what regard? Well, I not, think Edith is caught on. It's not going to be because uh, I'm yeah. up, up and about. Up and around doing gymnastics. Finally, we see Thomas gets a fucking backbone and asks to be alone with Edith. And as soon as they're alone, Thomas tells Edith, never drink the tea. And he brings in the old-timey wheelchair. So Thomas is feeling, like, true love or guilt or, you know, like, he really is starting to realize how fucked up this is. And Thomas goes down to confront Lucille, like, what are we doing, you know? And we realize he has genuine feelings for Edith. And they have, like, this awful, like, we can never, like, Thomas and Lucille, like, we can never be apart You'll never leave me. We'll always be together. It's like, okay, all right. This is why we invented talk therapy is what I'm saying. Like, these kinds of situations, like, you guys need to get out of this house. Lucille, maybe meet somebody else. Allison. Work through this scenario. The depot is closing for the blizzard. And, you know, so everyone's kind of stranded at the depot, you know, until the snow dies down, hopefully in the next day or so. But there's one person who's willing to go through, Dr. Allen, who tells him, I'm going to forge ahead, but follow me to Crimson Peak after the storm because something horrible has happened. And so Allen is going to make okay. it through the blizzard to Crimson Peak. Back in the house, Edith is fucking dying. And I think as a result, she's able to see the ghosts like more vividly and all the time. Well, she's closer to their plane, probably. Exactly. <laughs> She sees what we understand to be Enola's, you know, red skeleton holding the dead baby, and she mm-hmm. points Edith up to the attic. Ooh. Unfortunately, Allison, mm-hmm. when Edith goes up to the attic, she hears singing, and it's that song from the beginning, that creepy lullaby, who oh, at another God. point we hear Lucille say, that was the lullaby I always sing to Thomas when we were children. Edith opens the door, and we see Lucille jerking Thomas off, and they're, like, hooking up. What? Is happening. It's what? Like, it's it's like a this we're poor woman had to had to I wait know. so long to finally have sex with this tall, handsome yeah. man. She finally does and turns around and, and they're poisoning her. And then his sister is like giving him a tug job. Like, no, yeah, no, I no. No, nope. absolutely. I, I couldn't agree with you more. And also, it's more <laughs> distressing than if they were just having sex. Like I was like, oh, no, we having sex. I agree. And you saw like, you're like, good, out, pull it together. Like, like what are you doing it here? I could see this is like terrible, but like in if they were having sex, like there is some kind of like maybe there's an attempt for a baby. I don't know. It's terrible, but like I, it's just like right. I could see that being like directionally like to another end. 
Yes. This is a just hand for having job a great time. It's just yes. a hand job for fun. Couldn't agree more. So Edith, uh, Edith runs out. She runs over to sort of like the railing, you know, uh, at, on the second, the third floor. Mm-hmm. And she's like, oh, my God, I should have realized that you're not his sister. It was all a lie. And Lucille says, girl, you know I absolutely am his sister. Yeah. And then as Thomas 100%. screams for her to stop, Lucille shoves Edith over the railing. And she falls oh. two flights to the ground oh floor. Oh, my God. Just then, Allison, there's a knock at the door. Edith wakes up, and Dr. Allen is there to tend to her. She's super sedated, so when she's trying to explain what's going on, Lucille's like, she she must have hit her head. She's some sort of nut job fever. Everything she's saying makes no sense. Of course, uh, Dr. Allen knows, bitch, I'm on to you, you know. Yeah, something's afoot here. He also notices not only is Edith's wedding ring gone, there's like a bruise, like it was ripped off her hand, and Lucille is wearing it. So if he didn't know before, he's like, okay. Yeah. Crazy. And so he says, could you leave me alone? I'm going to tend to Edith. And as soon as he's alone, he's like, Edith, I want to get the, the fuck out of here. But Edith is so yeah. out of it, she can't even walk. And she's also incredibly weak. Right, because she's been being poisoned for days or weeks. Yeah. I don't like how, I don't know what the time frame. I'm like, is this a week? Maybe like two, it's very soon after she arrives. I'm going to say two, yeah. three weeks at an absolute stretch. Wow. So downstairs, Lucille gives Thomas a knife and says, will it be you this time? Basically like, I've done this a million times. You better step up. Yeah, t- you, time for you to kill some ladies. <laughs> when Alan tries to leave with Edith, Lucille and Thomas block the door. And Alan reveals a newspaper clipping, which is very funny at this point, where it's like, I don't think Edith needs to have any more evidence. <laughs> like It's like, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm caught up, you know? Yeah, it's, it's clear what's going on here. The hand job had- alone, if there was no other information, would be enough uh, to leave. A hundred percent. Red flags about. And the, the headline is, Lady Beatrice Sharp, so their mother, was murdered in the bathtub, and only the children were there. And because they're rich, instead of, like, prosecuting them, Thomas, who was only 12, was cleared of any wrongdoing and sent to a boarding school, and Lucille, being 14, was sent to a convent school. But mm. Alan says, but I think it was more of an asylum. So they were both sent away rather than address what was happening, and then when both of them came of age, they moved back into the house Unfortunately, okay. as Alan is, like, trying to explain this, Lucille take, grabs the knife and stabs him in his side under his armpit. Oh. And the dog's kind of yapping around, so she grabs the dog, and she says, you have to finish him off, as she, like, take, deals with the dog. And under his breath, Thomas says to Alan, you're a doctor, tell me where. So basically, tell me where to stab you so that's not going to kill you. And so Alan's like, I guess on the side. So he stabs him, and Alan falls to the ground pretending to be dead. Okay. And Edith screams, you monsters, both of you. Because she doesn't know that exchange happened. And Lucille right. says, that's funny. That's the last thing Mother said to Iconic. <laughs> Thomas takes Alan downstairs. You know, Lucille's assuming, oh, you're going to throw him in the clay pit. But he lets him loose and was like, here's how you escape out of the, the basement. I'm going to go back. I'm going to protect Edith. I'm not going to let okay. Lucille kill her. And okay. so Alan is, like, able to walk, but he's also badly injured. Upstairs, Lucille, who's really relishing, like, her victory, gets to have, like, her monologue, like, her villain monologue, while she burns pages from Edith's manuscript and, like, throws them in the fire, like, taunting her. This bitch. I and mean, Edith is like, I know. I mean, again, why? fabulous. Fabulous. Well, so we're going to get, we're going to get some explanation. Okay. Will it be satisfying? No. But, so Edith oh, says, I know you're okay. sick. But and I couldn't imagine that you'd be sick enough to kill Enola's baby. And Lucia laughs and says, don't you understand? None of the other wives ever fucked Thomas. And says fucked, which I was startled by. No. None of the wives ever fucked Thomas. That baby was mine. And you're like, oh, Like, from bad what? to worse. And um, so she explains, it was born wrong. And Enola sold okay. them, I can keep it alive. And I think she really genuinely did want to keep the baby alive. But she lied. Yeah. And the baby died. 
Anita says, so what was this all this horror for? Was it really to keep this dump and to keep the mine going? Like, was this really yeah. not worth it? And Lucille has this fantastic monologue. Um, and we'll insert the, the clip here. It's like, the marriage is with for money, of course. The horror, the horror was for love. The things we do for love like this are ugly, mad. It is a monstrous love. And it makes monsters of us all. And Lucille says, my mother was brutal and the only love Thomas and I knew was from each other. Mm-hmm. And he did this like, okay, well, it's not love if it's like rotten and it keeps you a prisoner and it leads you to murder. And, yeah. and Lucille screams at her, you'll sign this document. It's basically forcing her to sign the thing. I'm like, you're going to get murdered anyways. I'd be like, rip, rip. Like, I'm not signing yep. anything, bitch. I'm not but signing I'm- jack shit. They're going to kill you either way. Lucille, like, she's forcing Edith, like, to use her pen and sign it. And she says to Edith, your father loved you. You should have seen his face when I smashed it into the sink. So we realized the person, she did it. It was Lucille. She was dressed as a man. So she was in, like, she's not, like, in a dress or anything. So it was a discreet costume. Yes. Just then, Edith, that's the last, she's like, last straw. I'll, you know, I'll Mm -hmm. let you have ghosts. I'll let there be a giant hole. I'm going to let you give handies to my husband. But you bad mind, you turn that you murdered my husband, or sorry, you murdered my father. So she yeah. grabs the pen, her beautiful pen her father gave you, stabs Lucille in the chest and escapes. And she <sighs> runs. Way to and go. Thomas intercepts Edith and says, Yes, I did poison her and I lied to you, but I love you. And they have this moment where, like, they do love each other. It's just like, it's too awful. It's you know? too much. It's just too complicated. And Thomas goes to Lucille and says, we could just leave. We'll let our names die. We'll change her name. We'll go anywhere. We could be anything. We don't have to do this. Let the house collapse to the ground. We could be, we could all of us be together. And Lucille realizes that Thomas is saying, also Edith will be there. And Lucille says, you promised you wouldn't fall in love with anyone else. And Tom, and Tom, Lucille says, you promised you wouldn't fall in love with anyone else. And Tom says, it happened. So Lucille stabs him in the fucking face and the chest. And he pulls the blade out of his face with blood spurting, and Thomas dies. So now Lucille has nothing restraining her. So yeah. she is tracking Edith through the house, trying to kill her. Edith is, Edith is able to grab a knife from the kitchen. Unfortunately, as she's running around, Lucille goes and pulls up a flooring stone and says, before they sent me away, I hid a little souvenir and unearths the cleaver with which she murdered her mother. Her mother. So now she's chasing Edith, who is weak, you know, injured, around the house with a cleaver and has nothing left to lose. Oh, God. And Edith is able to escape into the mine. She's able to talk to Alan and be like, just hide. Right. I'm, I'm going to figure out how to get us out of here. And she escapes up the ramp of the clay digging machine out onto the property. And we realize, oh, oh this is the first shot of the film. It's a blizzard. Her hands are covered in blood. We are now back at the beginning of I that see. first image. And we see the clay has seeped through. So every, the entire lawn, like all of their properties stay in this bright red. So they're like running on this bright red snow. And Lucille claws her way out in the clay drinking machine. And she says, I won't stop until you kill me or I kill you. And Edith says, help me. And Lucille says, there's no one here to help you. And Edith says, yes, there is. And to distract Lucille, Edith looks behind her. And Lucille turns around to see the ghost of Thomas is standing there. And in that oh, moment of distraction, Edith takes a shovel and smashes Lucille's head in. And oh then my God. again, and Lucille tells her, I would, he's like, I will not stop until you kill me or I kill you. And Edith finally hits her in the head again, killing her yeah. and says, I heard you the first time, which I thought was fun. <laughs> and I Edith like and Thomas get their final moment. And she touches his face and his ghost, ghost vanishes. 
which is, again, the shot from the beginning. And we realize the yeah. voiceover from the beginning is Edith reading from the book Crimson Peak, which we see that she has written about her experience. Uh. And she gra- she's able to get Alan, and they're walking. And luckily, don't have to walk all the way to town. The townspeople listen to him and have arrived on the road, and they get them help. Oh, so wow. So they both survive. And we hear her final quote from the book. Some remained, so about ghosts, some remain tethered to a time and place, the spilling of blood, a terrible crime. But there are others that hold on to an emotion, revenge or love. And we see in the crumbled down mansion, the ghost of Lucille playing piano in the ruins of the house forever. Ellison, we've already wow. discussed many of them, but fatal mistakes. What would be your number one fatal mistake from this film that is unfortunately chock full of them? It is chock judgment. full of fatal mistakes. We all make mistakes I mean, when it comes to love. Fatal mistakes. Leaving my comfortable, wealthy, status-protected life in Buffalo to go live in a rundown mansion with a man I barely know and his sister. Like, just that yeah. whole— It's like, have them live with you. Be like, I'm going to chill here until you guys sort out your clay mines. Like, just— Going there at all, and also, like, once you were there and seeing it, staying for even one second. Yes. Yeah, once you arrived, you should immediately leave. Also, Edith's father not immediately Mm -hmm. telling her that Thomas is married and, like, whatever information he had on them. It's like, well, this could have all been avoided very easily. 100%. And I would say my mistake, and this is is something for all ghosts out there to think about, be Mm -hmm. more explicit. If you're going to show up, tell someone, I am specifically referring to this man and his sister, and it's a fraud. Give him more information. You know what I mean? Yeah, Obviously. just a little info. Because if it's not called, because it's the nickname, she's not going to be able to look that up and look right. manual. Look it up. Yeah, what are we even talking mansion? about? I don't I think that know. houses had nicknames and atlases. Which brings us finally to the spooky scale. Where would you place Ooh. Crimson Peak on the spooky scale, Allison? A spooky scale. I mean, I think it's like a seven or an eight for me. Those ghosts were scary as hell. Like, just like physically very scary. The the red clay being blood-like, you know, all scary. And then, you know, the incest. Yes. Oh, boy. Oh, there was plenty of it. Um, I'm going to give this, in terms of spookiness, I'm going to give this a six. Because I okay. think it was much, I really enjoyed it. It was much, it was beautiful. They had some very scary moments, but it really was more of like a you know, gothic romance. I wasn't that scared that often. The the effects were gorgeous mm-hmm. and very mm-hmm. creepy. But I think, like, the setting and the themes, it was a, a gripping, entertaining film, but not necessarily one that I found too spooky. Okay. That's fair. But what a, what a great movie. An, an excellent film. Love it. Highly recommend um, if you're one of our listeners who enjoys uh, uh, creepy movies. And if yeah. you're not a big fan of incest, boy, maybe give this one a pass. <laughs> for all you people who don't like incest out there. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, there's got to be a couple of you. All right, well, guys, thank you so much for listening. And yeah. um, as always, please send us your movie recommendations. We will get to yes. them eventually. Um, and Questions. you can email us at ruined at the radiopoint.com or, um, or message it. us on social media. And yeah, any questions, concerns, you know, please let us know. If there's a ghost yeah. that's giving you very vague information, we'd love to try yeah. to decipher it for you. Yeah, we'll help you. And again, like uh, this movie came from a bunch of recommendations. So you guys have good taste. Send us the movies you want us to cover. And uh, that's probably it for now. I for think us. so. <laughs> <laughs> and, and until then, until, until then, I mean, time. obviously, we're going to have to ask you if you wouldn't mind. Please. 
Keep it spooky. Ruined is a Radio Point production with executive producers Alex Bach, Sabrina Fonfetter, and Houston Snyder. Recorded and edited by Kat Iosa. Rack your look for spring at Nordstrom Rack and save up to 60% on brands you love. Rag & Bone, Vince, Marc Jacobs, Adidas, Joes, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. Score new dresses, denim, sandals, designer bags, and sunglasses, plus updates for the family and home. Get your spring on for less, up to 60% less, today at your Nordstrom Rack store. What will you find?